inevitably comes new hopes in the form of New Year's resolution and gym memberships. Um, resolutions are kind of a good news, bad news kind of a thing. Um, first, the bad news. Uh, there was a... a, a of those people never succeed and fail on their resolution each year. So 38% of people who make resolutions always fail. Okay? That's, that's the bad news. But the good news comes to us from Mythbusters. Um, there's an old saying back, it started in 1523. There was an English animal trainer named John Fitzherbert, and he said, The dog must be trained when he is a whelp, or else it will not be trained. For it is hard to make an old dog find a new scent. Of course, we say it this way. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Well, the guys at Mythbusters, as they are wont to do, uh, put that to the test. And so they got uh, a pair of aging Alaskan Malamutes who did not know a single trick. Malamutes, it says, are known for their stubbornness. And so they had seven-year-old Alaskan Malamutes named Bobo and Sisi, and they are the equivalent of 50-year-olds in dog years. Okay, so uh, they qualify as the old dog category as a result of that. After four days of training, Bobo and Sisi proved Fitzherbert flat wrong. Each could heal, sit, lie down, stay, and shake upon command from the myth, Mythbusters guys, right? So their conclusion, myth busted. You can teach old dogs new tricks, okay? And that is our great hope this morning and this year, right? And so what I want to do, I want to challenge you, uh, one trick, one resolution this year, just one. I would like for you today, before you leave this room, to say yes to God concerning what he is going to teach you through the book of Hebrews this year. I would like you to put your yes on the table ahead of time as an act of trust and faith in God that he is going to speak to you through the book of Hebrews, and that it will be for your good. Okay. Um, our elders went away last fall, and they came away with this annual priority for us as a church family. Our 2017 priority as a church family, we sent one every year, is to embrace and exalt Christ as most worthy in our lives, supremely worthy. So that we might know Him truly, love Him supremely, obey Him faithfully, and share Him gladly. This would be the year when we know Christ better, love Him more, obey Him better, and share Him gladly. Okay. And as we talk through how to implement that in our lives and the lives of our church family, there's no better vehicle we could come up with than the book of Hebrews. Um, to help us grow in this priority of knowing, loving, obeying, and sharing Christ. So today, we have two objectives as we start the new year together. One is to overview the book of Hebrews, and the second one is to put our yes 
on the table concerning whatever God has for us in this book. And so obviously that's something we need to ready ourselves for. So uh, I know some of you are, are just glad to be here clothed and in your right mind after staying up late last night. So let's, uh, let's start with some prayer as we open the scriptures together. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are here for many, many reasons, some of them noble, some of them even unclear in our own minds. There, there is a pull to be here today. After a late night, we knew we needed to be here with God's people to hear from you. God, we long to start the year and to have the year marked by hearing from you. And so I pray today that that would happen for us. That in your kindness you would take the truth of the book of, of Hebrews at 50,000 feet as we go over it today. And uh, encourage us even in that. And encourage us that you are greater, Jesus. And you can be trusted. And so we would say yes. Yes to what you have for us this year through this teaching from the book of Hebrews. We pray this, Christ, in your name. Be exalted, we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing I'd like to do is share with you a brief overview of the book of Hebrews that I personally found really helpful. Um, and they did a, a way, way better job than I could. So if you'll just watch the screen, this is a flyby of the book of Hebrews we're going to study together this year. they received the Torah and they made a covenant with God where they built the tabernacle where the priests offered sacrifices and also about how they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that the readers know all of the details about these stories and so most likely the audience is made up of Jewish Christians that's where the name of the letter comes from. We also have clues from chapter 10 that this church community was facing persecution and even imprisonment because of their association with Jesus. Some in the community were walking away from Jesus and abandoning the faith altogether. And this explains the purpose and the structure of this letter. First, there's a short introduction, which is followed by four sections where the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events from Israel's history. Jesus is first compared with angels in the Torah, second with Moses and the Promised Land, third with priests and Melchizedek, and lastly, with the sacrifices and the covenant. And the author has two main goals in all of these contrasts. The first goal is to elevate Jesus as superior to anyone or anything else, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. But his second goal is this, is to challenge the readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. So in every section, he includes a strong warning not to abandon Jesus. So let's dive in now and see how this all unfolds. The elevation of Jesus begins in the opening sentence of the introduction. 
In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. So the author's saying that Jesus is superior to all of the previous ways that God has revealed himself to Israel. He then makes this astounding claim that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. These metaphors are making the closest possible identification between Jesus and God. So Jesus is what the rays of light are to the sun, or Jesus is what the wax impression is to the signet ring. For this author, there is no God apart from Jesus. Jesus is God become human as the Son. And it's this elevated view of Jesus that's then explored throughout the rest of the letter. In the first section, the author compares Jesus with angels, which might strike you as kind of odd, like why angels? In Jewish tradition, it was taught, based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, that the Torah and the words of God were delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, the author is claiming that Jesus and his message of good news are superior to all previous messengers of God's word. And so the first warning flows from this very point. If Israel was called to pay attention to the Torah that was delivered by angels, how much more should we pay attention to the message that was announced by the Son of God? And not only that, given Jesus' status high above the angels, how remarkable is it that he gave up that high status to become human, to suffer, and to die? In Jesus, we see God's greatest glory and God's great humility as Jesus sympathetically joined himself to humanity's tragic fate. In chapters 3 and 4, the author moves on to argue that Jesus is superior to Moses, who led the people of Israel through the wilderness and built the tabernacle. Jesus is also the leader of God's people, but in him we see not the builder of just a tent, but of all creation. Then the author retells the story of how the Israelites rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, and they lost their chance to enter into the rest that God offered them in the promised land. And so here comes the second warning. If Jesus is greater than Moses, how much higher are the stakes if we rebel against him? We also are in a wilderness-like environment where we have to trust God for the future rest in God's new creation. So let's make sure that we don't rebel like Israel did in the wilderness and lose out on God's gracious offer to enter his new creation. In chapters 5 through 7, the author then compares Jesus with Israel's priests that come from the line of Aaron. Their role was to represent Israel before God and to offer sacrifices that atoned for or covered over the sins of the people. But, he points out, the priests were themselves morally flawed people, and so they constantly had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as for everybody else's. Something more was needed. And so he then argues that Jesus was that something more. He's the ultimate priest. But Jesus did not come from the line of Aaron. Rather, Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, that mysterious priest king from ancient Jerusalem, and he appears in the stories about Abraham. We also find in Psalm 110 that the messianic king from the line of David will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So the author's whole point is this. Jesus is the ultimate priest king. He's morally flawless. He's eternally available for his people. And so he's superior to any other mediator between God and humans. And thus comes his warning in this section. To reject Jesus is to reject one's best and only chance to be fully reconciled to God, so don't 
do that, which transitions us into the last comparison in chapters 8 through 10. The author shows how Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice superior to all the animal sacrifices offered in the temple. Those sacrifices had to be offered constantly, both daily but also yearly on the Day of Atonement. Jesus offered his life once and for all, and it was sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. And so the author warns the audience from walking away from Jesus. It's like turning your back on a gracious offer of God's forgiveness. Why would you do that? Jesus' sacrifice is permanent, he says, and it's the foundation for the new covenant spoken of in the prophets where all sins are forgiven. So now that the author has elevated Jesus through all of these contrasts, this final section is one big challenge to follow Jesus. So think big picture. In Jesus, they have found God's very word. In Jesus, they have hope for the new creation. Jesus is their eternal priest. He's the perfect sacrifice. And so now they should follow all the great models of faith found throughout the story of the scriptures, and they should remain faithful to Jesus, trusting that despite whatever hardship and persecution, God will not abandon his people. That's the basic flow of thought throughout the letter, which the author calls right here at the very end, a brief word of exhortation. Here's a couple of extra tips for reading this letter. Whenever the author quotes from the Old Testament scriptures, which is like every other sentence, stop and go look up the reference and read that quotation in its original context. And sometimes you'll be puzzled, but more often you'll see all kinds of extra cool connections that you would never notice otherwise. It's totally worth the effort. You should also just know that these warning passages they're going to make you uncomfortable, and that's kind of the point. They're not there to make you afraid. They're there to show you that rejecting Jesus is foolish because he's so awesome. These warnings all serve the larger purpose of the letter, to show that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's love and mercy. And that's what the letter of the Hebrews is all about. All right. Yeah, thank you. Drew that up this week. Um, yeah, yeah. You see why I showed you that. It's kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant, but isn't that helpful? Um, you'll, you'll be seeing this again throughout the year. It'll be available for your small groups, and it'll be uh, available for personal use. It's, um, it will be available probably this week on our leader blog. We have a leader blog at North Wake. It's one of our best-kept secrets. We launched it about a month ago. And, it, and nothing bad has happened so far, so we're going to go public with it. Um, and you can find out about that, I believe, on the front page of our website. Uh, we post every Wednesday, so uh, you'll find encouraging, encouraging things there, including things like this. Um, but in addition to a tool like this that just flies you by at 50,000 feet, the book of Hebrews, real, real, real fast, um, there's one other thing that's invaluable in helping you grasp the big picture of the book of Hebrews. You should read it, okay? Seriously, you should read the book of Hebrews. So to start the new year, here's a simple challenge. If you read the book of Hebrews, you read one chapter a day for the next two weeks, you will have read the whole book, even if you miss a day, okay? So start today. Spend some time this afternoon or this evening, read the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, and tomorrow read the second one, and in the, over the next two weeks, you'll be through the, through the entire uh, book in just that brief little bit of time. But let me review for you some of the things that were shared on the video that are, are particularly helpful. Let's start with what we don't know about the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. 
more ink has been spilled trying to figure out who wrote the book of Hebrews than about any other thing that I've run across, and we don't know. And I think the reason we don't know is because the book is not about exalting men, it's about exalting Jesus. And so we don't know who wrote this wonderful book. And so you can't become a fan of Paul or Apollos or whoever wrote this thing. Um, it's just about Jesus, and uh, you should be content with that. Um, we don't know who he wrote it to. We know a lot about them, as you saw on that overview, but we don't know who, we don't know where they lived, we don't even know really how to classify this book as literature. The scholars are making things up. This is a homily letter. Um, it's a letter and a sermon crammed into one thing. Um, we don't exactly even know how to, t how to label it as a type. We don't even really know how to outline the book. It's not very cooperative, although they did a super job of uh, best effort on that graph up there, and you'll see that outline used largely this year as we walk through the book. Um, but there's a lot, there's just a whole lot we don't know. What do we know? We know one thing of supreme importance throughout the book of Hebrews and that is that it teaches us this. Watch again this short video. We walk this earth as victors. Because we stand in the face of fear and know we don't stand alone. We know war destroys only the body and sickness can't touch our souls. In both the infinitely huge and the incomprehensibly small we see the hand of God. Despair can't hold us captive, and the power of hatred can't pierce our hearts. We are subjects, not just to the kings of this world, but to someone greater. Death will come knocking, but we know that death isn't the end. We might hear the lies of the world, but we know the truth, and we believe it. The truth is Jesus, and we are victorious because Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than. That's that's the hashtag for our series this year. That's what the book of Hebrews, Hebrews teaches us supremely. Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than priests. He's greater than the old covenant. He's greater than our temptations. He's greater than our greatest fears. He's greater than death itself. Jesus, Jesus is greater. And the book of Hebrews teaches us that at every turn. It encourages that with every turn. And because of what the book of Hebrews teaches us about Jesus, it's particularly good medicine for our souls these days. And I'd like to today, as part of our overview, just show you three ways that the book of Hebrews is good for us and good for our souls. First, it's good medicine for those who suffer. One thing is sure, 2017 is going to bring suffering into your life and the people that you love. Um, 
We saw it this past year in 2016. There were bouts with depression and anxiety, life-threatening disease, cancer, arrests, jail time, murder, suicide, divorces, separations, job loss, great financial need, addictions. I could go on and all of that and much, much more happened just in the lives of people within our congregation. It was a hard year. 2017 will be another hard year. We do not get a pass on suffering, and reading the book of Hebrews will not remove suffering from our lives. It's not a pass, but it can change how that impending suffering shapes us, how we endure it. The book of Hebrews is written for that very purpose. Listen to this passage in Hebrews that addresses our suffering in chapter 10. Recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that you, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Clearly, the recipients of this letter were people familiar with suffering. It says in verse 33 that they were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. They had compassion on those in prison, joyfully accepting the plundering of their property since they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. There's a phrase in there that sounds incredibly foreign to American ears. Did you catch it in verse 34? They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Okay? Someone took all of their stuff and they were joyful. Because, it says, they found that they had a better possession and an abiding one. See, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than our possessions. He is the reward that is greater than the loss of our property, greater than their imprisonment, greater than a hard struggle with sufferings. Jesus is greater. He is worth it. He is able to help us in our sufferings. Jesus himself talked about it this way in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is greater. The Apostle Paul, he wrote about it this way. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus is greater. He says again in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is greater. He is worthy. He is greater. You've heard me, um, if you've ever been to our baptism services, you've probably heard me cite this next um, series of questions. They come from a Christian mission agency that works in South Asia in a predominantly Hindu uh, nation where persecution is common. And they ask um, those who are considering baptism a series of seven questions that serve as a reality check for what new followers of Jesus might experience if they decide to go public with their decision to follow Christ. And here they are. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you, forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? Jesus is worth it. Jesus is greater. He is greater than our sufferings and our sorrow and our fears. Jesus, Jesus is greater. Okay. The teaching of Hebrews is good medicine for those who are tempted. Teaching in Hebrews is also good medicine. It's medicine for those who are suffering and for those who are tempted. Now, this year, 2017, for sure is going to bring with it great temptation. This past year, people have been tempted to be unfaithful in their marriages, to abandon their marriages, to take their lives, to abuse substances, to numb the pain, or to fit in, to lash out against their parents, or to angrily abuse their children, to go to court rather than to reconcile, to cheat on tests and taxes, to view porn just one more time, to keep really, really dark secrets, and so much more. In 2017, holds more of the same. Temptation will be great and will press you hard in 2017. Reading the book of Hebrews won't change that, but it can help you prevail over temptation. The book of Hebrews was written for that very purpose. Listen to these verses from chapter 2. Because he himself, that's Jesus, has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then chapter 4, just a couple pages later, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's writing about Jesus, our high priest. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, there is help when we are tempted. A high priest who has been tempted in every respect, yet without sin. There is grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is greater than our temptations. His promises are greater and truer than those false promises that our temptations bring to us. His power to free is greater than their power to ensnare. Um, 
Theologian uh, N.T. Wright writes and helps us think about how the book of Hebrews is good for us with respect to temptation with this little analogy. He says, think of an animal you'd really be afraid of, whether it's an angry rhinoceros or a large spider. If you came around a corner and found yourself facing it, what would you want to do? He says, well, run away, of course. And he says, well, as a follower of Jesus, that's how you should feel about a lifestyle of greed, lust, jealousy, injustice, or any other sinful pattern. He says, then think how you'd feel if you saw the person you love best in the entire world, whom you hadn't seen for years walking down the street, what would you do? Why, you would chase after him or her, of course. And he says, that's how you should behave when you think of Jesus and the new life he is offering you and the whole world. And perhaps we could take Wright's images and we could combine them together and say, when you face the thing that you are most afraid of, when your temptation is the greatest, and then you look and you see the one who is greater than that temptation, who loves you so, then you should run from that temptation and you should run to him. Because Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. The book of Hebrews is good medicine for sufferers and for those who are tempted and for those we might call settlers. You know what I mean by settlers, right? Here, watch this. This will make it clear. Dear, why don't we switch to DirecTV? Now, Mother, we are settlers. I've settled for cable all my life. But DirecTV has been number one in customer satisfaction over cable for 15 years. We find our satisfaction elsewhere. The boy has his stick and hoop, the girl, her faceless doll, and you have your cabbages. And you have your foot stomping. I sure do. Don't be a settler. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Okay. With apologies for the infomercial about DirecTV, but you get the idea. We find our satisfaction elsewhere is the line in there that jumps out at us about Christ. We settle for something or someone less than Jesus. Jesus is greater. And there are two common ways that we settle. One, we settle for the lesser gods of our culture, more and better and newer stuff. Unfettered sexual freedom, novocaine of all sorts for our sorrows, even a life of comfort and ease. Or even good things can be this settling substitute, like education, or fitness, or family, or financial security, or politics, if politics can be considered a good thing. We can hope in them, but they disappoint. Have have you guys noticed, um, following the election of our president, right, um, the amount of political angst and anxiety and fear about what is coming. Um, I ran across this image. (laughs) Moving to Canada? We can sell your house. Right? The problem is, of course, Canada's worse. But, um, you know, we can settle in, in, in two different ways. We can run after the gods of our culture. Um... We can settle for these gods, the gods of our culture that inevitably disappoint. Jesus is greater. He is our hope. 
He's greater than the angels. Verse 5 of the first chapter says, To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And Moses, Moses was the guy. He was the man. He's greater than prophets. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than priests. He's greater than the old covenant. Jesus is greater. The book of Hebrews warns us that any other gods, any other hopes... If you embrace them, you are settling. Jesus is greater than personal freedom, than political victories, than sexual prowess, than a life of comfort and ease for you and your family. Jesus is greater. He is worthy. He will satisfy. Don't settle. Jesus is greater. And we settle for lesser gods. We can also be tempted to settle for lesser devotion. The Bible uses the language of being lukewarm. Or being immature is the way the book of Hebrews will put it from time to time. We would say being re we're being reasonable. I mean, go to church from time to time. Sure, that's fine. But let's not get all fanatical about this stuff, right? Um, we become content even though we are plateaued spiritually. Our knowledge, our desire, our love for God is plateaued. Or in decline. And we're content. Um, Hebrews calls us to a different life. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by a constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay. Ouch. That's a, that's a stinger for, for some of us, many of us perhaps. Hebrews calls us to a mature, wholehearted devotion to Christ, marked by a skill and knowledge of the Scriptures and discernment between good and evil. And it uses terrifying language to shock us out of our complacency. Listen to this one of a handful of severe warnings in the book of Hebrews from chapter 10. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, are, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Are you a settler? Have you settled for a lesser God or a lesser devotion to Jesus? Don't do that, as the video said. Don't do that because Jesus is greater. He is greater than angels and Moses and priests and prophets because He is God. And He calls you to a wholehearted love, devotion, and worship. He deserves it because He is greater. What I'd like to do now is close our time together 
with an, what the, a time of what the Bible calls consecration. It's not a word we use very much um, outside of the church. Consecration has the idea of being set apart from lesser or, or even evil things in order to meet and serve God. Leviticus speaks in this language of consecration. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, God says, for I am the Lord your God. First Chronicles says, um, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? So today we are saying yes. We are consecrating ourselves. We are setting ourselves apart to say yes to whatever God has for us this year in the book of Hebrews. And of course, in order to say yes to God, there are things that we're going to have to say no to. And so, one thing that helps us is to firmly confess and embrace and fix in our minds the truth, the reality that Jesus is greater than our other loves and our other hopes. He's greater. He's worthy. He's greater. And so, to help us with our response today, um, some of you may have noticed when I came in, I've laid out here a scroll of paper that spans the floor here in the front of the worship center. And uh, there are uh, a bunch of markers laying down here on this uh, piece of paper. And during our response time, I'd like to encourage you, as you think about what it is that you need Jesus to be greater than this year, in your life, in your soul, in your thinking, that you might come down as an act of prayer. You might, you might write that. Perhaps it'll, it'll, it'll look like this. You might just write Jesus, uh, greater than symbol, my fears. And you can write some very specific ones there, things that you are afraid of. Jesus is greater than my temptations, and you can write specific ones there if, if you feel uh, free to do that. She said, Jesus is greater than what I'm pursuing for satisfaction, and you can write down some of the things, some of those lesser gods that you're pursuing. Um, you could write, Jesus is greater than my, my anger. He's greater than my lust. He's greater than my pursuit of things. He's greater than everything. And you can just write something real simple like that. You can write a scripture down here on the on kind of the prayer scroll that we have down here. You can write um, a prayer out if you want to. But I would encourage you, just as, as an act of prayer, during this time of response, um, that you might come, you might bow down and pray, and just write what it is that you need Jesus to be greater than in your life as you face the year that's ahead. And we'll, we'll pull this out from time to time. We'll remind ourselves of this. We may add to it as the year goes on. But just today as an act of prayer, um, what is it that you need Jesus to be greater than? Um, today, we declare together, by this act, by our consecration of our lives, by saying yes to God, that Jesus is greater. And we want to do that in prayer. We want to use this banner. We're also going to do it in song. Um, worship team's going to come now, and they're going to lead us in a time of response, a song that's familiar to a number of you, I'm sure. It starts out this way, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, set apart for you. God, I, I want to say yes now.
to whatever you have for me this year in the book of Hebrews. And so if you'll stand with me, go ahead right now, stand up. And we are going to sing this hymn, and during the singing of the hymn, uh, we'll intersperse it with, uh, I'll lead us in a time of praying and reading of some short scripture, but this is the time, uh, even as we're singing and in those times in between, that you'd make your, da- your way down here and write on the prayer scroll that's laid out here in the front what it is that you need your mind to be fixed on that Jesus is greater than this year, what it is that you're, you need your heart to embrace that Jesus is greater than this year. And you can write it in any fashion, any way, any language that you so choose. Okay. Let me pray for us, and then we'll pray in song as this time begins. Jesus, we, we know you are greater. And yet, most of our days, we doubt that you are greater. And so we need, we need this. There are so many voices telling us that they offer more. More peace, more happiness, less pain, less sorrow, more joy. And yet we know, Jesus, that you are greater than every one of these voices. And uh, so I pray now that in your kindness, two things might happen. That you might be honored and pleased by our song and by our writing of our prayers. And that our hearts might be a little bit more settled. In the truth, Jesus, that you are greater. So, Lord, receive our worship now as we sing and as we pray and as we ascribe these prayers to you.